This edition of the Major Spoilers Podcast goes out to Antonio Tank Sanchiole, Marco Hawk Selmo, Eric Scout Trevarthen, Benjamin Pilot Kim, and Jeffrey Sire, known to the world as Captain Power. They are the soldiers of the future, and this one goes out to them. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Major Spoilers theme song! The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Pod- on, on the air. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. On the air. Pod, pod, podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen. If you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, podcast, the Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Hey everyone, welcome to issue 411 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Yeah, We've got all the information that you desire and need. Just deposit your quarter now. 25 cents, please. Please deposit your quarter. They still have those? The number Do they even have a payphone? I can't remember the last time I saw a payphone. Uh, um, last no. time I saw a payphone, it had a credit card slot. Yeah, I think... I think I remember seeing payphones in airports, but I think even that in most airports has now gone away. The the area where they used to have payphones yeah. now have jacks for, yeah, for you yeah, to for plug your in internet. your computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, I guess I'm, I, 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 I know we've talked about this before, how technology has kind of sometimes hurt certain genres. Oh, sure. And, you know, I go back to the detectives like Rockford. The loss of cell phones and everybody switching over to or the loss of payphones and everyone switching to cell phones mm. to that me takes, still kind of, some of the ruins. Yeah. Take some of that drama away. Cause you're the woman is running, looking for the payphone. Now she just has to whip it out, uh, whip out her cell phone and say, police, there's a guy here bothering me. Mm-hmm. Right. So. I don't yeah. Know. But there's, you know, you can add that other level of, you know, she would run and the payphone would be broken or he'd be hiding. And now it's like, Oh no, I've got no signal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a different complication using the same sort of MacGuffin. I know something we can talk about. What? Toast! What's that? Oh! Toast! I don't know. I don't want to boast. That's actually a pretty good... That's actually a pretty good song. They play yeah, on toast. Disney all the time. Have you heard that song? Mm-hmm. The Toast song? It's pretty good. Yeah. I know about Powdered Toast Man. Powdered Toast Man? Powdered Toast Man! So, uh, this past week, Warner Brothers announced... Uh, that it's uh, licensed a bunch of stuff to Dynamic Forces, which is the parent company of uh, Dynamite Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, right. uh, licensed them some of their properties to create toasters that will burn images onto your toast uh, from some of their properties. <laughs> uh, into your toast, your uh, into your bread, your English muffin or bagel. Uh, and so what do they have in their first round of licensing? Wizard of Oz, A Christmas Story. Where the Wild Things Are, mm-hmm. The Goonies, Gremlins, Little Shop of Horrors, and Watchmen, Friday the 13th, Mad Magazine, Friends, and it says more. <laughs> the first toaster is scheduled to be on sale in September 2012. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know what images they're going to be burning on, burning on to the, uh, to the bread or bagel or English muffin or whatever that, that you may have. Mm-hmm. But apparently, 
people on the Twitter were like, you guys should talk about the big controversy around the Watchmen toaster. I'm like, there's a big controversy? Yeah, people are complaining. I'm like, they are? And Ooh. I've not, and I, I spent a good hour going to all the popular websites, and nowhere did I see anybody just losing their crap over over well, this Watchmen toaster. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, to, be on, to be fair, on, to be fair, yeah. burning images onto toast is not a new thing. No. Right? I mean, they have, they've had the Star Wars stuff. You could burn the... Uh, the Imperial uh, logo mm-hmm. or the, uh, the Rebellion, the Rebellion logo. logo or Darth Vader's face. Darth Vader's um, face, yeah. You know, there's all sorts of things you can burn onto toast. Uh, so I don't, first of all, I don't know, yeah, you know where it's coming from. Uh, back on issue 333 of the Major Spoilers podcast, I asked the question, mm-hmm. Is has merchandising gone too far? Or where should merchandising stop? And everybody was like, oh, no, no, go ahead and just merchandise. Yeah, that's if that's the way, you can't put a, you can't put a limit on the merchandising. I'm like... Okay, that's fine. If you don't want to put a cap on merchandising, you're going to end up with Watchman Toast. Mm-hmm. And now everybody's like, oh, I can't believe they're putting toast. Well, apparently everyone's saying, oh, I can't believe they're putting Watchman on a toaster. I think it's just one guy who can't believe it. Maybe. Yeah. Well, and there, well, there are a couple of things in play. First of all is how much fun it is to say, dead dog in alleyway this morning, tire tread on purse stomach, reminded me I want eggs. But also, I think that part of the fact that, you know, the, the primary writer, one of the primary creators of Watchmen, has stated outright that he's unhappy with oh, sure the handling is. of what he wrote and yeah, the sure work for is. hire of and course. the contract. And he's, he's angry about the, the prequels. People are already up in arms about the prequel. Sure they And are. trying to tell, you know, DC well, that it's inappropriate of them to, to put something out. So I don't people think are going to go this with is, this idea of go ahead and merchandise it anyway. However you want to, however mm-hmm. you want to do it, go ahead and do it. Then they but shouldn't complain. This I mean, is an extension is it, of this. Is, is it? Is it the fact that it is? Look what Warner Brothers has done. They're putting Wizard of Oz on toast, or because I don't see the the uh, lollipop Front guild going bomb. all crazy over this. Is it because well, so many people regard a, a porn movie? <laughs> Is it because people regard the Watchmen in such high esteem that how dare you put it on toast? Yeah. And for 30 years, Watchmen has stood alone, untouched. And that has made people think that it's untouchable. And there are people, and I am among them, who think that Watchmen can and maybe should stand on its own as, you know, a, a, a relic of the year 1985. Right. But... That does not mean that DC Comics, the owner of the trademarks from which Watchmen is derived, can't put something silly like this out. I mean, this is this is the uh, this is the extension of the same thing that gives us awesome things like the Power Rangers hoodie. Well, but that again, this that's my is, thing. You if know, you're going to merchant, if you're going to go ahead and let merchandising, which everybody says, I said there should be a point where you say yep. no. And everybody's no. like, and everybody's like, but that, no, go ahead. I'm like, okay, then if that's the way you want to do it, I don't want to hear any more complaints. You know, but that's a slippery slope argument. I mean, everybody would make that right. argument in a different place. Alan right. Moore would say, you must stop this when you try and write an unauthorized sequel to my work. Sure. I would say, if that sequel sucks, or if I can get myself a really cool, you know, Rorschach toy, but stop there. Some people are upset about mm-hmm. this as it's one of those ideas that's so, so stupid. It's kind of awesome. 
Well, let me ask you, Rodrigo, is this a big deal? Who's going to pay $70 to have Rorschach toast? I don't know. <laughs> I can see it. Because <laughs> I, I think this Rorschach toast, which the Watchmen, if they were going to do it, really should have been the smiley face so you could spread your jam right in the in the one spot to ma- to really make it like the, the, the Watchmen logo. But then you'd be eating um, but a I'm face. Afraid, and that's but crazy. I'm afraid that if I put the Watchmen or the Rorschach splotch on the toast and put it down in front of my son, he's going to start going, oh, no. <laughs> you know, he's going to start freaking out with some repressed memory or something. Yeah. Um, but what do you think of this, Rodrigo? The, the 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 toaster itself looks pretty keen. Yeah, I I would honestly, I think it would be awesome to have a toaster that looks like a uh, like a Starcraft pylon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, I don't know. Like this thing looks pretty crazy. It, it looks. It, it honestly looks like Batman doesn't want somebody to steal his toaster, so he clicks that button. You know how the Batmobile armors <laughs> it itself armors up. up yeah. That's what that toaster looks like. <laughs> um. So the toaster's cool looking, I guess. If I was gonna have any toaster in the world, I would probably pick a toaster that maybe looks like that. Um, as far as the, you know, is the, uh, you know, having Watchmen toast going too far? I think you know, Watchmen is one of those properties that people think is sacred. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a good argument on both sides. One that a lot of the fans are upset about it. On the other hand. DC does own the rights, so they yep, can do yeah. whatever. You Warner know, Brothers. Yeah. Warner Brothers owns the rights, so they can do whatever they want. My theory, and I told you guys this uh, before the last show, um, my theory is that there originally wasn't going to be a Watchmen toast, mm-hmm. uh, toaster. They had, you know, Wizard of Oz and Friends and Goonies and all this stuff, and they weren't even going to touch any of the DC properties. But they kept trying to make one. I don't know, like, uh, uh, I don't know what else belongs to Warner Brothers Footloose. I don't know. They kept, <laughs> Probably. They kept trying to make a, a Footloose toast, and, uh, you know, Kevin Bacon just wasn't coming out right, so they were like... Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? Kevin Bacon burnt onto your toast. Mm-hmm. And you could actually put bacon toast on top bacon. of Kevin Bacon. Exactly, exactly. So they kept trying to do that because it would be awesome, but it just looked like two splotches. So they were like, we are going to have to go all the way back to the drawing board yeah, yeah, yeah. because we want to mass produce these. All the other ones are working. This one isn't. If this one doesn't work, we're going to have to change the whole production line so to, to have something uniform. And some executive goes, no, I know what we'll do. We'll just call it a Watchmen uh, toaster because it burns these symmetrical splotches onto yeah, yeah. it, and we'll just say it's Rorschach toast. Well, here's the thing that is really most surprising, and you just kind of alluded to it, uh, Rodrigo. Wizard of Oz, fine. Let's burn the Emerald City or the Ruby Slippers or something onto the toast. I, I guess. There's nothing really... I, I mean, <laughs> Freddy Krueger, let's put these big Krueger claws across uh-huh. it. But when you come to DC <laughs> properties, you're going to go with... Watchmen? Yeah. Where the hell is the Batman toaster? Where the hell is the Wonder Woman toaster? The Superman logo burned onto my toast. Believe me, I would pay 70 bucks for a toaster that's burning the Superman or Batman logo onto my toast. Mm -hmm. Now, not really burn. I mean, make it a little bit darker. I don't want it burnt toast. But I'd be, I'd snag that. That would, that would sell like hotcakes. Yeah, I, I really, no, I, I think... Yes, it would. You, you don't know, think it would? It would. That would sell to the sharper image nerd crowd like you. Man. Oh, no, no, no. I, I you, think they would, would sell enough to make it profitable, oh, but God, I don't think it no. would sell. Like- 
I no, I bet you that they would. They're going to sell more Superman toasters than they are Watchmen oh, toasters. Oh, certainly they would. Um, that and, that I will go with. And and here maybe maybe I should extend <laughs> what what is happening. Maybe they tried. Well, they may have to make Superman and Batman and the Flash and like the very iconic symbols, but it just wasn't coming out right. So they're like, uh, that Superman logo Not- just kind of looks like an angry splot. <laughs> they were like, oh, well, we'll just say it's the cowardly lion. That that looks. We'll just call it a Wizard of Oz thing. It's like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that that Flash Bouncing logo kind of. Yeah, that that uh, that uh, uh, Flash logo really looks a lot like um, Matthew Perry. Yeah, oh, yeah. we'll just make it a friend's, <laughs> friend's toast. toaster. Uh, I bet it just burns the logo. I bet it, uh, that's yeah, all it's going to be is the word Watchmen or Friends or, or, Wizard, or of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Well, with Friends, toast. it would have to be because what the hell else would it be? Cup of coffee. Jennifer Aniston's haircut? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what else was iconic about that show? Chandler uh, quotes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Could I be any more toasted? Hey, the toast says, how you doing? Yeah. That's a perfect way to start your morning. I, I guess oh, my true. breakfast is asking me a question. Maybe a central perk thing, but how even you then, you know, 10 years after the show, do people remember? Apparently they do. Probably they do. They do. I, we, I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't see the controversy that people are seeing in this toaster thing. I don't know about controversy. I think that what it is... I believe that people are perceiving this as an intentional jab at Alan Moore. As and Alan Moore, oh, you don't like what we're doing with your property? Well, we're oh, going to yeah, put yeah. it on freaking toast now. Well, and there was the big, uh, the, the guy who was writing Ferris, right? He made a big... Right. Bill him. Yeah. Uh, he made a, a big stink about things and said, I'm not going to... Oh, yeah. Chris Roberson, yeah. Yeah, Roberson. He said, I'm not going to work for DC anymore. So from here on out, I could... Oh, you can't quit. We fire you. Yeah. Right, 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 right. That whole deal Roger was basically was about the too. Watchmen prequels. So it's a sore subject right now, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, this has probably been in the works since the movie came out. Probably. You know? And and now, the again, the little guys at R&D are like, we finally finished this toast. They are actually the lollipop, <laughs> lollipop killed. killed. <laughs> <laughs> we have finally, <laughs> we finished this toaster. <laughs> and, and the poor little guys, And we'd like know. to introduce it legally, <laughs> that we own the rights to the character. Never mind. <laughs> Patent pending, patent <laughs> pending. <laughs> the thing that uh, that I think they're missing, uh, really, is if you're going to merchandise Watchmen, why are we not seeing Watchmen the Triple X parody? Uh, bo- oh, boy, well, let me those, look. It may those, be done already. Those don't belong to DC. Like the Triple X parody. I know, but that's, that's what we need to see. Because I mean, Lori's already dressed like a porn star, and John's completely naked. These are the things, you know. This is I stuff. Saw, but I saw I the most horrible thing this week. What did you see? Smurfs, the Simpsons one? The, no, the Simpsons one I saw a while ago, and that was pretty bad. The Smurfs, oh, the Triple X parody, painted all in blue. I wasn't. I didn't even watch it. I saw the pictures. And I was like, Gah! The Smurfs. Yes, there's only one all girl in the Smurfs. Ones. And she's painted you blue. You can do porn with only one girl. Well, you can do one. Ninety-nine you can porn with only one girl. Actually, you can. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, now I feel dirty. Let me talk. Uh, let me ask you a question, Rodrigo. Uh, switching topics. Watchmen toaster is over. 
Let me ask you a question about after oh, Watchmen Toaster. To- <laughs> Watchmen First, there's toaster. before Watchmen Toaster. It's just called bread. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to kill me with a forklift. Okay, I'm done. Uh, Legend of Korra. We've talked about this before. You hyped mm-hmm. it up big time a couple of months ago. Yep. Maybe two months ago, three months ago. Who knows? Uh, have you been watching that nonstop Rocksteady kind of thing? Uh, yes, uh, definitely Bebop. Rocksteady. <laughs> a little bit of Bebop and some Man Ray. And, uh, so it's now... Yojimbo. I, I guess it's been, available, it's been available on the, uh, on the iTunes for a while, and Mason has watched a little bit of the Avatar, and I was really surprised because as we were watching the first episode tonight, you came over mm-hmm. and caught the last half of episode two. My wife was in the kitchen, and she's like, oh, is this a continuation of that other one? Mm-hmm. And so she picked up on it, yeah. on it at least, that this was going on. But I, I got a couple of questions to kind of put this in perspective. Okay. As I sat down and watched this, I'm trying to think, okay, they kind of set it up in the first 30 seconds or so of the show that this takes place after some other events in another show. So if you want to yep. go back and watch that, go ahead. But going forward, you know, you don't really have to know no. everything about that series. So I agree with you on your assessment there that you don't have to watch that. Um, how many years later does this take place? It's supposed to be 70 years. 70 years. Okay. Cause I was thinking a hundred years, right? Not quite a hundred. Okay. So that makes sense then that we get to meet the, uh, head councilman of uh, Republic City mm-hmm. is the son, is Aang's son. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the girl down at the South Pole, the old woman with the, his mother mm-hmm. is who? He, uh, she's Katara. Okay. The, from the, the, the first. The waterbender. Yes. Okay. From the first. And then we meet um, the police captain who mm-hmm. is the daughter of. Toph. Toph. The, the other boy, the, the earthbender. Okay. And she's a girl. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, is that the blind one? Yep. Okay. So uh, I thought it was fun. I thought it was really cool. Mm-hmm. My son got a kick out of it. Uh, he wants to watch the rest of the, the six episodes that we have mm-hmm. very quickly. And I think we're at what? Is there only six episodes yeah. in the first season? Uh, well, the season's still going. Oh, okay. So I didn't know if we were halfway or where we no. were at in that. So Yeah, I think it's 12 episodes. It's going to be a 12-episode season, I think. Okay. The other- uh, it was originally going to be a miniseries, but they've... Uh, actually, I think they've already ordered 12 more episodes. Oh, I don't cool. know if it's going to be added onto the season or if mm-hmm. they're going to just make it a second season. That but yeah, they, cool. they've already or, uh, ordered more episodes. Excellent. So a couple of the comments that I've seen online of people tearing down this series mm-hmm. is that 70 years or whatever, that that world's gone through too, tech, too much technological change mm-hmm. in those 70 years. Right. I don't buy that. You don't buy it? I don't buy that argument. No. no, I mean, if you if you can, like, people, like, the the human race went from the Kitty Hawk to the Space Shuttle in, in about 100, 100 years. years. Yeah. So, you know, it it makes sense that you would go from uh, basically high-end feudalism mm-hmm. to the 1920s, you know? But, yeah, in 70 in, years. In 70 years. If I anything, mean, the society is slightly slowed if you're going from... Well... Uh, the, you know, uh, mid eighteen hundreds to nineteen twenty. Yeah, I mean it. It 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 makes. I, I think that um, post the the issue there is the 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 industrial era, right? Like the, the industrial revolution, right, happens off screen. Mm-hmm. You know, after the industrial revolution, technology begins. The iterations of technology begin speeding up, right? Um, I mean, technically that has always been the case, but mm-hmm. it's it's an exponential growth. So prior to it, they're a lot slower. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there are two ways to, of looking at this, I think. Um, a lot of fantasy settings uh, stay medieval for thousands of years, right? right? Right. The technology doesn't advance, and you can argue that that is because there are magic users. Mm-hmm. If you can use magic, there's no reason to advance technology. Right. Um, conversely, though, and I think the, the, what uh, you know, the, the Avatar universe goes into is if you don't have to invent you know, a rotating platform to put a car, in, you know, mm-hmm. on while you're building it because you have somebody who can manipulate the earth to raise it up and move it around. Right. You know, if you have, by this point, metal benders, mm-hmm. you know, you don't need to invest in robot arms and things like that because you have people that from a distance can manipulate hot metal mm-hmm. to turn it into a car door or a radio or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. you, you don't have to go through these intermediary steps. So you do allow for technology to move a lot faster. Right. And I guess I guess I'm kind of conflicted in in some of that because when we play Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. I like it's set in the pure fantasy world of no technology. Mm-hmm. But you get into what Eberron campaign, right? And that incorporates a lot of technology or ideas yeah, of technology yeah, yeah. into it, magic powered technology, right, right? Right. And so when we look at Legend of Core, I, I think the same way, mm-hmm. where hey, this is fine. This is this is progress. And uh, what's that other, what's that series about the uh, the brothers, Matthew, that uh, one of them gets transformed into a suit of armor? Full Metal Alchemist. Full Metal Alchemist. That's another one where it's magic set in a technological mm-hmm. society, yeah, it's and like, it works. It's like magic set mm-hmm. in, like, the 1930s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we have Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Harry Potter is almost like they have separated their society yep. from... Yep. Mm-hmm. technology and said we're going to stick ourselves in this time period even though we understand those muggles have cars and planes and all the things but we like to fly on our brooms and mm-hmm. port via flu fire or whatever it is i mean matthew do you have a do you have a preference in how you like your your fantasy and your reality mixed together well i'm i'm never a really big fantasy type story guy so i'm not necessarily the one to ask that because for me, the fantasy story is kind of a separate hybrid cousin, maybe somewhere in between science fiction and soap opera. So, and, and probably that has to do with my, uh, my enormous J.R. Tolkien daddy issues, really, because I had such a horrifying reveal to that, that Ur example, that amazing universe that, you know, the Lord of the Rings put together that part of the reason that I'm not really really into the avatar is because it is kind of that at least derived from that same sort of fantasy magic fighty fighty kind of world Mm -hmm. it's remarkable that i play dungeons and dragons at all honestly and i think part of that is the fact that you know when i started playing you were allowed to have firearms they were errated but they existed I think that if if you're telling a story in a fantasy universe, the problem of technology is going to be huge because there really isn't in most universes anything that you can't achieve with technology that you couldn't also achieve with sufficiently advanced magic. And so that 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 fine line to me is problematic, whereas, you know, if you had said that. Bilbo is is walking to the Shire with his magical sword sting. You know, it's one thing to say it's powered by elven magic and it casts, you know, it casts horrible things and it'll kill a barrel white immediately. But if you said that it did the exact same thing because of nanites, 
same effect, same sort of thing, but it, it, it would be, you know, it would be problematic and people would say, well, that that's breaking the rules. That's breaking the technological so advancement. Do you think that that's what the screwing with that? Do you think that's what people are having a problem with the updated time period of Legend of Korra? Again, you haven't watched it, I'm guessing, but same kind <clears> of idea. I've seen about half an episode. I seem to recall Avatar having kind of a steampunk feel to it because they flew around in an airship in one at one point and the Fire Nation seemed to have, you know, yeah, steam powered, at, at least pretty advanced, you know, yeah. right. They had ships and they have advanced stonework. And these are these are not like Stone Age people. Right. So I would say I, that's probably part of it. I think part of it is the fact that people don't necessarily think about the fact that 70 years ago. Automobiles were just becoming prevalent. Telephones were barely covering, you know, a quarter of the United States. 70 years ago would be what, 1943? Yeah, right into the World War II. 1943? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Plain and automobiles. In 1943, my, my family, and by that I mean my grandmother, uh, would have been living in a house that didn't have indoor plumbing yet. And when my mother was born in 1944... They still had to ride the train for two hours to the doctor's office and carry my mother in a little basket. And that's, you know, that's not that long ago. This is I'm I'm, you know, the old dude, but I'm just over 40. Mm -hmm. So my mother was of a generation where people would get on a train and ride a train halfway across the straight a state to civilization to see the doctor. 70 years is a really long time in it terms is. of technological really advancements. It, it really is. I think another issue here is that uh, people, uh, some people like me, love the the original series. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who love the original series. Right. To the point people where... People with passion. Yes. They call the, those people with passion. Yes. Uh, very passionate people. To the point where any deviation Nerds. from... <laughs> yes, also that. Uh, to, to the point where any slight deviation might irk them. Right. So, maybe, when they saw that a new Avatar, The Last Airbender-style universe thing was coming out, they were like, oh, good, this will be a continuation of those right. characters that right. I love and that setting that I love. And then the guys that, uh, you know, that uh, Kinyitsko and uh, all the guys involved in that were like, this is going to be a new story with a new character. This is mm -hmm. going to be the next generation of Avatar. You know, this is going to be the Legend of Korra. This is not going to be Aang Part 2. Right. Um, I think some people were upset. Some people were like, no, I want to see more Soka. I want to see more Katara. I want to see more Zuko. I want to see who gets together. Right. I want to see them make out because they never did during the show. You know, <laughs> I want to see the next, the moment immediately after the fight. That's what I want to see. But that's not what they're getting. So I think uh, there's a there's a sector of the people that are complaining about Legend of Korra that are sort of... Uh, projecting that onto the setting saying mm. oh well it's stupid that there's cars and it's stupid that there's radio and it's you know it's stupid that they've built this huge city in only 70 years which is really not no it's pretty um, pretty easy yeah um especially when you have people around who can literally erect can, a building yes, by yes, exactly. by clenching their fist and going huh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, it took hundreds of years for, a, you know, a hundred years for a cathedral to be built mm -hmm. because you had people chipping away at the stone and hauling it into place. Right. But you'd think the earthbender 
could yeah. just raise the stone fully carved yep, out of the and, earth and just, just and place it in and just punch it and it turns into a gargoyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's yeah. that's what you're dealing with. So yeah, it allows some technology to move a lot faster. In in the criticisms were there a lot of people that complained about Ang being dead? Um or were people pretty okay with that? I think there have you know, there, again, there's that sector that is like, I wish that there's this was more of the previous stuff. But you know what? After the you know they released the first couple episodes, the first two episodes Online, early, right? Um, and I think that really quashed a lot of it. I think Good. people people saw it and they were like, "Wow, this is awesome!" You know that scene where Chorus is running away from the metal benders. Mm-hmm. People did not expect that to happen. People did not expect their you know the whole universe has moved forward. Which ones um, did it, are the metal benders in the first two episodes? Yeah, they're the ones that try to arrest her. They're the guys oh, with the cables. Oh, because she was calling them airbenders. No, they're metal benders. Oh, okay, all right. No, there's 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 like f- four. Eight, there's probably like twenty airbenders in the oh, world okay. right now, and most okay. of them are Tenzin's kids. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> My son, the his favorite part of the whole two episodes that we watched was the part where the youngest boy fell asleep while they were meditating and blew snot bubbles out of his yep, nose. Yeah, he, he told me all about it a couple times, actually. <laughs> that was I guess the, to the four-year-old, the snot, snot bubbles are, uh, are probably a yep. cool thing. Well, I uh, so far I'm giving it a thumbs up, Rodrigo. I'm agreeing with you, and depending on how we uh, hit these first six episodes that are now available, mm-hmm. we'll continue to watch it, and if they're still good... We might go back and watch the original series from the beginning. Oh, I, I really recommend that you do. I wonder what the boy would think of that. I think he'll enjoy it. The uh, one thing that I will say is that the first season of the first series is a lot less plot driven. Mm-hmm. It is fighty fighty. No, it's it's um it's wandering heroes, right? But it gives you a lot of exploration of the Avatar universe. I wonder which one the boy would like more. Because I'm, I'm going to guess he probably is probably going to like the original He likes young more. Ben 10 a yeah. lot. Yeah. He's okay on older Ben 10. Like the, you know, the Legend of Korra focuses around 17, 16, 17-year-old people. Right. Um, Avatar, like, the, the, the Last Airbender focuses on uh, basically 11 to 12-year-olds, like, between mm-hmm. 11 and 15. Mm-hmm. Kind of stuff, so they're yeah, a lot he, younger. He digs, he digs on that stuff. Because yeah. how old is Aang in that? He's pretty young, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's, he's like, like 10 or something. Yeah, he's like 12 oh, at okay. most. All right. I guess a lot of my, you know, going into the pop culture stuff is a lot focused on, well, what is the kid going to like or what are these kids going to mm-hmm. like as opposed to what am I going to like that I'm going to force upon the child. Sit down and watch this. You're going to like it kind of stuff. And so I guess that kind of drives the motivation for... Do we invest the time into this or not? Because the only reason we got into Ben 10 was because he was watching a few episodes before either Justice League or Batman or Star Wars or something came on. And we started we started really getting into that. Really, the I, I think I think he, he'll probably like it. And I think that this is going to be a good opportunity to for you to actually watch a good show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, there's um, nothing wrong with Ben 10. Shut your mouth. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying Ben 10 in particular, but say Naughty. Oh God! Or you know that's the he brought that up the other day, and he's like, "Dad, the the sidekick, we're mm-hmm. never going to watch that show again, are we?" I'm like, "No," mm-hmm. and he's like, "Okay," and just was happy with that. But then again, we don't watch cable anymore, right? So whatever is on demand is on demand. That's what we're we're watching, mm-hmm. and it's odd that the sidekick 
he is fascinated by the strangest things. Mm-hmm. What was it? Th- we were watching something the other like night. My face. Oh man, he is terrified of your face. <laughs> Just this look, Matthew. It's so funny if you could see this. First of all, the boy, the sidekick was playing over by the front door. He was reading some books, just doing his own thing. This kid just does, he is his own independent person. Mm -hmm. And the doorbell rang when Rodrigo gets here. And the kid is just like, ah, and starts running away from the door like there's some madman on the other side. Totally frightened, totally stranger danger, which is what he should have, stranger danger. But then when he sees Rodrigo, his eyes just get really big. And then as I start moving the sidekick closer to Rodrigo, his head starts to pull back and his eyes get really wide. Like, oh, my God, what is this thing? And then and then five minutes later, he's waving like he's never waved before at anybody playing with Rodrigo. So he's he he clearly just does not understand what I am. I think think he's just stranger danger. He's not used to you yet. Dog. He's not used to you yet, but he's not, it, it's, well, maybe, uh, he, he's just, he's not, he's not affectionate mm-hmm. like the boy is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, because it's like, oh, okay, Thomas, I give you a kiss. Now you give me a kiss. And he like pulls away like he doesn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But Mason's like, oh, I'll give you a hug and a kiss, dad. You know, that kind of stuff. Right. And, um, and it's just weird to see that these two look so much alike, mm-hmm. but they are so opposite uh, in their behaviors. I think it's amazing. Now, Matthew, a question for you, because I'm trying to, you know, mm-hmm. live through some pop culture through my son and thinking, what is he going to be interested in? Are you the are you the same right. way with your daughter? Or are you more like, here, kid, watch the Power Rangers. Here, kid, watch Jim. Here, kid, watch Fat Albert, because these are the <laughs> things that I liked as a kid. So therefore, you must like them as well. Well, she doesn't must like them. But a lot of times, if there's an option... And there's something, say, if she wants to watch something horrible, 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 and we have the option to watch something that doesn't annoy daddy, we'll go with that. Mm. But sometimes there's actually the bonus of, like, when she watches Gem, I like it, she likes it, and it really, really annoys her Aunt Sarah. Well, so, but who introduced her to Gem? for you? everybody. Did you introduce yeah, her to Gem? We Jim? were watching it. I don't remember why we watched it. It, it came up, I think we had watched... We went to watch The Death of Optimus Prime. That's what it was. And then Jem popped up in the related category. And she's like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, that's a terrible show from when Daddy was a kid. Ooh, can we watch it? Uh-huh. Sure. Let's watch it. So now she wants to watch Jem. And, and the thing that, about what she wants to watch is if she doesn't care, she just doesn't care. Mm, like yeah. there are certain things that there are some Power Rangers things she wants to see. Yeah, but she does not care for Power Rangers Samurai the current season. She says it's dumb. So we won't watch that show. She has no interest in that. But she, you know, occasionally will want to still watch the dub Japanese stuff, which is uh Kaizoku Sentai Go Kaija, which is kind of cool. So I I think it's a, it's an element of both. I I'll introduce her to things and she'll find what she likes and doesn't like. I don't force her to watch things that she doesn't want to see. You know, after a couple episodes of the 1966 Batman, she was pretty much done with that. Mm-hmm. And when, when she's a little older, we may actually be able to watch the monkeys. And I've told her when she's 21, I'll let her listen to my George Carlin records. 21. Come on. 13. <laughs> I was eight when I started listening to George <laughs> Carlin, and look what and it look did what to it me. Did to, yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah, you're right. Our guest this week 
really doesn't need a big introduction because if you're a Ghostbusters fan, you know the name Winston Zedmore. Uh, he now has over 100 film and television credits to his resume, has uh, acted on the stage on Broadway. Uh, you may know him also as uh, Warden Leo Glenn on the critically acclaimed HBO series Oz. And most recently, he's been doing voiceover work for Transformers Prime. Of course, I'm talking about Ernie Hudson, and he joins us this week on the show. Mr. Hudson, thank you so much for being on our show today. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's a pleasure being here. I, I guess i got to get this out of the way, because a lot of our listeners are going to kill me if I don't ask about it. What's going on with Ghostbusters 3? Well, um, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not a part of the creative process, so I'm like the last guy to know. I know about as much as the fans do. In fact, most of the information I hear about the movie is through the fans. Oh, really? Um, you know, I get emails from people every day. I get... Um, you know, they heard this and somebody said that and, you know, so, but I have no clue. All I know is uh, over the last uh, year or so, I've talked to all the guys, uh, Bill, Danny, Harold, I've talked to Ivan Reitman, everybody uh, say they want to see it happen. And so um, that's all I know. And why it hasn't happened, I don't have the faintest clue. I mean, I would love, especially for the fans, I'd love to see it happen because they've kept this thing alive uh, and not with really much support from the studio. But uh, Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I'd love to see it happen, but I really want it to be uh, the best that we got if we're going to do it. Otherwise, I really would just rather leave it alone. Oh, I, I totally understand that, and I think the fans would appreciate that, too. If it's not going to be done 100%, don't even do it. Don't even do it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a while ago, though, uh, back a couple of years ago, you did voice work for the Go- Ghostbusters game, correct? Right, yeah. And how was that? It was great. I mean, it was uh, the first time in 20-plus years we, you know, we all agreed. We didn't all come together in the same you know, sessions, but we all agreed to come together and do the voices. I was uh, very impressed with that. And I think the fact that the game turned out as good as it did, that's why um, the possibility of the movie really began to you know, look real. But, um, but now that's been a, a few years, so I'm not sure anymore. I, but it was great uh, coming together for that. I'm looking at your impressive list of, of credits here. And was that Ghostbusters movie the first time that you did just voice work, or had you done voice work before? No, it's, uh, I, you know, part of being an actor is being prepared to do, you know, uh, a variety of things. And they're, they're all a little bit different. And voice work is, I love doing voice work. Back in the uh, early 80s, I did... Um, uh, Superheroes. I played the character Cyborg. I did oh, some of the Batman right. stuff. I've worked on um, you know several things. I left town and got away from because uh, I wasn't in town to audition. But uh, and that's why this doing Transformers was such a, uh, an important thing for me to do um, because you know it, it is first up is a great series and I really mm-hmm. love being on it. But uh, it really it was a chance to sort of get back in. Uh, I do the voice on. Um, Beverly Hills Chihuahua 2, we just finished Beverly Hills Chihuahua 3. So I love voice work, and I think I'm very good at it, but, um, you know, but getting connected. And, uh, and and when you do, not just whether you're acting in a movie or you're doing, you know, animation, you want to know that 
the work you're doing and the project you're doing is really worth it. And that's what I love about this particular series, Transformers Prime. I, I just think it's really extraordinary. So, well, the, the series is now, uh, right now, in its uh, mid-season break for a couple of weeks, and then it's going to come back, what, in a couple a couple of more weeks on, on Hub? Yeah, I think so, you know, because I'm, I'm one of those guys that waiting to hear, you know, when they want me to come to work. But I think, <laughs> and I think they... Yeah, hey, uh, you know, they go until the end of May, and then I know there's a break, and then, you know, we come back later, and they, um, but, you know, once I walk out of session, I'm the actor, you know, once the job is done, you never know when the next call is going to come, so. Right. But uh, but I love getting the call, so, um, uh, but I think I think that's how it works. I'm not altogether sure. Okay. Well, my son was, I just got a comment, my son was uh, watching it, uh, I think the first season, uh, the other night on, on his iPad, and I tried to say, okay, it's time to turn it off and go to bed. He's like, no, I've got to see what happens next. So it's it seems to be a popular show for everyone from the young kids. My son is four, all the way up to to fans of Transformers who remember the from the show from the nineteen eighties. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I have uh, my my two older boys are in their forties, and my two younger boys are in their early twenties, and um, so and they're all fans of the franchise. So. Um, you know, and that's how actually I was familiar with the, um, you know, with Transformers, and so uh, so doing this show. But I, there's something about this show I think is very unique, and different, and um, and very very special. And you know, watching it with my grandkids who just, uh, you know, who, who love it. But I think it's also the adults can relate to it. I mean, I'm I'm really impressed with. Uh, I mean, you know, the production quality, the animation, mm-hmm. really an extraordinary show. Now, tell us a little bit about your character, Agent Wilson, Wilson Fowler, and how he interacts with uh, the robots, the Transformers in, in the series. Well, Fowler feels that, you know, he's the liaison between, you know, um, the humans, you know, the government, and, you know, the, um, and he's, you know, put there to keep an eye on him, but he's also to make sure that, you know, there's some, a lid uh, sort of, you know, sort of speaking. So he's, um, he takes his position very seriously and I think he's really gotten to know them on a real personal level and I think he, um, but he, he doesn't feel diminished, he doesn't feel less than, you know, he's not intimidated by them. I mean, these are huge, you know, beings, but he, you know, he'll get in their face and, um, you know, make him back down if he has to. So right. a lot of heart, you know, he's an old school military guy, ex special forces. Um, and when there's, you know, a call to action, he's the first guy to jump in. So, um, you know, he's at a, I think a real critical point in his life. And, uh, I think this is a new place for him. It gives him purpose. Um, I think he's very, uh, very concerned for the safety of the children who somehow gotten involved. But uh, he's just, um, you know, he's, he's, you know, my kind of guy. I have so <laughs> much respect for him. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, he's a uh, he's a guy who put it on the line, and uh, you know, no questions asked if he feels it's the right thing to do. So are you able to bring some of your personal experiences and attitudes into this character? I, I know that you, you did some time with the, with the Marine Corps. Are you able to bring some of that experience into, into this character? Yeah, I, I think I've seen more, though, from the perspective of, I think, just, you know, life is changing. Mm-hmm. And life is changing. And it, life changes when you're not aware, but 
it comes a moment in life when you suddenly become aware that, oh, wow, it's, you know, it's different. I'm different. This body that I've been occupying forever yeah. is different. Everything is, you know, and, uh, and I think Fowler's feeling that, you know, like I said, he's an ex-Special Forces guy, but, you know, he can't jump quite as high as he used to, and, uh, and he's aware of it. So a lot of that time thing, I think I, I relate to the character. A lot of, you know, he has all these little sayings, these little patriotic sayings that were so cool when he was, in his prime, and now they're still cool to him, but uh, they're so outdated right. uh, in a lot of ways, which is actually kind of funny. And, and um, you know, we got that one compliment on a haircut when we were 19 and we're still wearing mm-hmm. that same haircut. <laughs> so we get a little stuck in time, and I think he's a little stuck there, but uh, but he's still very, um, has a lot to offer. And mm-hmm. uh, this this role gives him a chance to, you know, to do that. And me as an actor, I still feel, no, I got a lot to offer, but I also have to accept the fact that, you know, this is, you know, it's times are changing. And, um, and so having an opportunity to do a show like Transformers Prime for me is, is a wonderful, you know, way of discovering myself and rediscovering myself and, and, um, getting a chance to play because, uh, the forces seem to be saying time to sort of move aside and you go, no, no, not yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll let you know when I'm ready to move aside, but right now I'm going to transform. <laughs> well, so, you know, again, your I'm list of, fun. your list of movies and, and, and TV shows. I mean, it's, it, I can't find a period in the last, you know, five or six years where you've just not had something going on. So you're a busy guy, whether you're doing voice work or, or in front of the camera, like uh, my wife pointed out, oh, yeah, I remember he was on Grey's Anatomy just, you know, not too long ago. That's so, right. you know, you're you're out there and yeah, people, people you know, recognize I, you. Well, I think that's what, well, you know, I'm never, I didn't come, I guess, for me, I should have, you know, I wasn't concerned about being a movie star or star or any of that stuff. You know, when I discovered theater in college, I just wanted to be an actor. And mm-hmm. I just, I, I saw a play and I was so blown away that I thought, man, if I could do that, I mean, I wouldn't ask for anything. I just want to be. So that's been my approach. I'm a working actor. Uh, you know, I do theater. I did a play on Broadway a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I do TV. I do film. I do, you know, independence, whatever. You know, I do voiceover stuff. I do that's what I do, you know, and when I'm not doing that, I'd love to get out to the conventions and meet mm-hmm. the fans who love the movies that we watch. And so it's a blessing to be able to do that, but I believe in, I'm a working actor and I believe in working and I've always, thankfully, since 1967, been able to work. Wow. That's, that's a, a great long career to have. And I guess the, one of the questions I have kind of looping back around to moving from in front of the camera to behind the microphone. I know that there are a lot of actors who are approached to do just voiceover work for like a, a television commercial like AT&T or something like that. But is there something different in the mindset that you have to do to transition from, uh, you know, a, a person on, on camera to someone who is a character actor in front of the microphone? Well, it, it, it's, a, it's a little bit different skill set, I, I think. And, um, and when I see the guys who do it well, I mean, they kind of get that. It's, but it's mm-hmm. always between the different things. It's different, say, from television to stage. I and mean, it's a very different skill set. And, and, you know, once you, you know, do it, you begin to, to learn the difference. For me, the voiceover stuff, it's great because, number one, when you can kind of get it down and deliver and not take up a lot of time, um, you can do those things and maintain your, you know, 
anonymity and right. nobody go to the grocery store. I mean, I know guys who make a lot of money and nobody know who they were on the streets. Right. With that, you know, your face is out there. So that that's one advantage. But I think um, as a voice actor, you really begin to understand that it is in projecting personality through sound. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm making this this moment, but you really have to do it through sound. Whereas in acting, it really, sound isn't, well, it's just one of the elements. You know, you also got the physicality, how you, you know, you can do things with your eyes, your hands, your face. So it's, um, it's, it's a little bit different. And goes in the studio, you don't have any of those things to play with when you're doing voice stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's just, it's just a little different approach and it's kind of hard to describe the difference, but, uh, and, and all enjoyable, but definitely, uh, all a little different. Have you been approached to do some other animated shows beyond Transformers Prime or even video games? Well, you know, I, I, we did the Ghostbusters video games. I haven't done a lot of the video games. Uh, I'd like to do more. Uh, I did the Beverly Hills Chihuahua 2 and the Beverly Hills Chihuahua 3 mm-hmm. and uh, you know, animated features. You know, I'd love to do more of that stuff. But uh, years ago, I'd kind of gotten more into it back in the early 80s. But after Ghostbusters came out, my wife and I decided to get out of town yeah. um, just for our own peace of mind and uh and i think that took me out of the that market for a while but it's great to be back and um yeah i mean i'd, I'd love to love to find it oh, i see guys like um kevin and peter and you know frank and all those guys i mean they do you know a lot of a lot of voice work and it's just it's a great gig and especially you know and it's a lot of fun and it doesn't take up a lot of time are, are you intimidated being with uh, Peter Cullen uh, in there as he's been this voice for forever? Yeah, no, no, actually I'm not. But, uh, you know, Peter, Frank, uh, my son told me is a, has been in more, his, his movies and his, the work he's done has made more money than any other actor, including Sam Jackson. But I think after this last thing with Sam, he's probably back on top again. But uh, these guys have been around forever. And they're legends. And uh, my kids know them. I really, you know. But uh, the first session, I was a little bit, you know, nervous and thinking, well, these guys are really good. I mean, I haven't, you know, and uh, I got to hold my own. Right. But uh, but everybody was so complimentary, and I'm like, really? Um, so, and after, you know, after you kind of get over that nervousness. And I notice when we have guest stars come in and who aren't used to doing it, it's really a little, you know, you kind of bumble around a little bit. But once you find your footing and once you know that, okay, no, this is um, – you know, then it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. So no, I'm not I'm not uh, intimidating. But I will say that first session, I was a little little bit nervous, you know, because <laughs> they seemed so so on point. But right. then uh, I think I came in around the third or fourth uh, episode, so they've been working together. So mm-hmm. um, so now it's just a lot of fun. Now, are you said that you don't live in I'm I'm guessing uh, Los Angeles now? Do you do you fly in every time that you're doing your recording? sessions for a time period or, or are you recording from home? I know uh, there's some, uh, the guy that does the voice of Yoda on the star Wars clone wars. He actually phones it in from, from home. Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of people do. I mean, I have a little studio in my house now, but no, we moved back to uh, Los Angeles back in the mid nineties. Oh, okay. We were, we were out of town for about 10 years there. Um, and, um, so no, I, I live outside of Los Angeles and, uh, 
So it's great. So I, I can go in, but having a studio, I don't have to go in for auditions. And there's some things, like you say, you can, I can do out of my studio here. But with Transformers, we all uh, go in together and uh, and record the episodes, and that's great. I think it's great having being able to do the scenes with people right there, and you can sort of get a bond and you can get a chemistry going, and uh, that's that's a very very I, I think it's very important. It's very very cool. You can do it, you know. Mm-hmm. We did the Ghostbusters, and you know nobody was in the same place, but. Uh, it's nice when you can have that luxury. It, it, do you have a favorite moment from either this season or last season of the show that uh, that sticks in your mind? Well, you know, there, there are a lot of you know fun times that that I've had. But um, I was watching with my grandkids uh, one of the episodes in the first season where I was captured by the Decepticons and um, Starscream is um, um, he's uh, let's see he's um, interrogating me uh-huh. and so they strung me up by chains and I'm sort of hanging there and he's trying to get information and I'm sort of uh, talking out of my head. My grandkids thought that was like the coolest thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, so, uh, so I think just, I remember that scene uh, especially because I remember seeing their faces while we were doing it. Sometimes I think as an actor, especially, you know, the generational thing, um, Transformers one, like you were saying, old you know, older people can enjoy it, and young people right. can do it. The stuff that really connects. Ghostbusters is the same way, and um, so having sometimes you do something where the kids think you're pretty cool, and uh, for right now with Transformers, my grandkids think I'm pretty cool. That's very cool. Now, now one last question here. I, I saw a picture of you. I guess it was at the premiere of Zookeeper, and you're wearing a, a Superman necklace. Are are you also a big comic book fan, or or is there some other meaning behind that? <laughs> Well, a little bit of both. I mean, I do like, uh, I grew up, you know, reading the Marvel comics, you know. I think one of the mm-hmm. coolest things for me is to to, have, to meet Stan Lee. I mean, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm still like, we're all geeks in our own way, you know. So right, I right. love, uh, and I love, I always loved Superman. Wasn't as big a fan of Batman as uh, Superman, but, um, but you know, yeah. So I, I you know, I, I used to read, before I really became, you know, reading a lot of books and decided to go to college. I mean, mostly what I read was comic books. Uh, I don't do so much now, but, but beyond that, um, and maybe I'm like follower at this sort of transition in my life. I feel, you know, that my little necklace empowers me, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. part yeah. of me that I am Superman, you know, so I, I like, I like the idea of Superman and, uh, uh, it's probably the least expensive little necklace I have, but it's probably <laughs> the one I wear the most. So very cool. You know? All right. We had one question come in from our Twitter feed. Somebody wants to know if you've read the IDW Ghostbusters uh, comic book series and what you what you thought of that. Uh, you know, I I don't know if that's the latest one because there's been several you know uh, different. Right. Um, yeah, he's talking about the latest yeah, you know, one. The latest one. Yeah, I, I did read uh, one of which was great. I thought I think it's really really very very well done. Uh, the illustrations and everything was really very cool. But I haven't read, you know, that many. So, uh, but I think they're very, very, you know, very, very good. Excellent. Well, Mr. Hudson, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us about Transformers Prime, and uh, hopefully, you guys have continued success. There was a number of awards that it won just recently, and and I hope the show continues for several more years for you. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate talking to you. Just no good problem. luck with everything. All right. Thank you very much. Bye. You too. Final topic for this uh, episode, a little bit longer than what we normally do, but we're making up for the last uh, issue.
So this past week, Rodrigo reviewed Resident Alien number one. Mm -hmm. He also previously reviewed Resident Alien number zero. Mm -hmm. And I guess Rodrigo's question was, why was the number zero not labeled number one and so forth? Right. What's the point of a zero issue? Matthew? Well, initially... The first Zero Issues, I think, were actually introduced just basically as another gimmick. Zero Issues actually date back. Zero Issues actually date back earlier than that. The first Zero Issue that I remember was Bob Burden, who does uh, Flaming Carrot, did Robot Comics number Zero for uh, either Kamiko or Dark Horse years and years and years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think when he did it, he did it as a ha-ha silly number Zero. But yeah, when they started coming out, basically the number zero issues were what today we would call a good jumping on point. Mm-hmm. An, a zero issue was something that started out as we're going to tell you a little bit of story. And then eventually with things like Solar, Man of the Atom and the Valiant Books and all that, the number zero issue actually became the first chapter of a storyline. But it was usually released in the midst of the storyline. So right. you'd buy three issues of Harbinger and it'd be like, here's your story. And then you'd have the option, once you're hooked, to buy that zero issue and see how it began and the story behind the story. I don't know if they actually, I haven't really seen regular zero issues for the better part of probably a decade. Mm-hmm. They're kind of a almost almost a discredited trope these days, and I think it's you know it's kind of like chromium covers. They're associated with a time when you know the gimmick comics went way 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 overboard. But I, I guess I always see the the zero issue as the origin. You know, something that's taken place. You're 35 yeah. or 127 or 600 issues in. And suddenly you need to tell that origin story of where it began. So now we're going to go back prior to the events of issue number one and tell you what the character was doing. You know, but I think that comes from the DC comics use of them around zero hour. Zero hour, right. But it seemed like it seems like in this case with yours, Rodrigo, the zero comic is just a gimmick to, as Matthew said, it's just gimmick. To, to do what? To, to confuse people? To confuse people. Because, because literally that's all that one accomplishes. See, for me, the zero issue, because, you know, when I got into comics, it was the apogee of the Wizard magazine. Right. And, you know, chromium covers and gatefold covers and multiple... Right, uh, variant covers. Yeah, variant covers. So, to me, the zero issue has always been a promotional issue. Like, even as yeah, a kid, yeah, like a I would see it, and something. I knew mm-hmm. that it was a gimmick to get me hooked on a comic. And I was perfectly fine with that, along with my, like, random She-Hulk trading card that you got with Wizard, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes, and, yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, w- it is weird, because I have a whole bunch of X-Men trading cards, and then I have, like... That one card that has like She Hulk and Fairchild flexing, yeah, yeah, and it just does not fit with anything else. <laughs> but anyway, um, good times, good times. Yeah, good times, good times in the nineties. Um, ah, uh, the nineties. But but yeah, that's what a zero issue is to me. It's something and that I, I get read. that I get probably for free or along with purchasing something yeah, yeah, else. Yeah. Um, and it's going to tell me only essential stuff. It's not going to advance the plot at right. all. Right. Now, Resident Alien number zero is literally the first issue of this comic. Mm-hmm. It not just sets up the characters, but introduces the main uh, 
aspects of the story and sets events in motion that are then continued on issue uh, on issue quote you know on issue one mm-hmm. and it's not telling an origin story the the number zero issue for this book should have taken place in space as the alien crashes yeah 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 this issue is literally the first episode of the show it mm-hmm. is this alien is established he's doing stuff and now his life has changed you know the the life that he had made for himself starts to change which is your first episode, your mm-hmm. first chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no reason for this to be a number zero issue. It's like in any direction that you look at it, it is pretty much wrong for this to be a number zero issue. It's mm-hmm. just confusing because when you pick up issue number one, which most people will see issue number one and say right. this is the first issue, when you open it, it literally tells you this. It, you need to read issue number zero to know what's going on. It actually, there's a little block of text on the first panel that tells you that. And that's pretty bad. Uh, now, do you remember what the cover price was on that zero issue? I, I do not. I'd have to go back and but look. But I'm pretty sure it was a full-size issue. Do you, But you don't think they reduced it to like a buck or 25 uh, cents or something like that? I, I don't know. I haven't checked. Okay. All right. Because that would be the that would be another reason is if it was a full issue and it was a quarter, mm-hmm. you know, that would be a good deal. Do you, do you guys still buy into that, Matthew? Do you guys still buy into those, uh, like, Hellboy, they had a 10-cent uh issue a few years ago we had the batman uh mm-hmm. tencent adventure do you do you buy into those uh, 15 books years that are ago like we a, had the batman 10 years yeah, i know <laughs> it was a long time ago i'm old um or even you know you dynamite are. these days oh speaking of zero issues before we get into the into the dollar books um dynamite does this a lot really well with their number one issues in their series like um uh, John Carter did it. The Green Hornet did it. Um, uh, some of their other other licensed titles have done it too. Where their first issue really is a standalone issue by itself. It's almost like this is the pilot, just in case the series doesn't get picked up. Mm-hmm. At least you have this one self-contained issue, and it makes sense if you're if you're trying to hook onto somebody. So in a sense, Dynamite doesn't need to do the zero issue because their number ones are those kind of standalone issues that could be a zero issue if they right. wanted it, but they also sell it for a buck, which is a pretty good deal, right? I mean, is, yeah. is selling comics at a cheaper price for that first issue a good idea, or does that set up a bad precedent for the next issue at full price and the unsuspecting customer? I, I think it depends on how cheap you're making it comparatively to what it's going to cost us for the next issue. Hmm. And also, I think it has to do with what you're selling. Something like the Green Hornet or the Shadow. Or even like a Zorro. It's not necessarily a book that's not going to sell. Right. So giving it that lower price point and letting people who are vaguely familiar with it jump on at a lesser price plan, I think is maybe a good idea. The problem that you run into is that the stores are ordering everything two months in advance mm-hmm. based on the expectation of what's going to sell. So let's say you come into me and you say, well, there's going to be uh, it's going to be a turnip man. Number one and turnip man. Number one is going to be 38 cents, just like comics were back in mm-hmm. never. And you can buy turnip man. Number one for 38 cents. Okay. That's cool. People are going to buy turnip man. Number one and see what it's like. If turnip mm-hmm. man. Number one is great. People are going to come back looking for Turnip Man number two. If Turnip Man number two is four ninety nine, yeah, 
I think that a vast, you know, a, a vast wadge of those people who were interested in Turnip Man number one are going to immediately go and find the adventures of the masked rutabaga instead, something yeah. that may not be two ninety nine. And boom, boom, studio. I don't think does that anything. Too. Yeah, I don't think that anything designed to move more issues and more product is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. I think that it's it's going to be a matter of execution and what happens after that issue. So, yeah, if you sell your okay. comic for a dollar and your next issue is three ninety nine, it better be a really good story. So let me ask you then, in the business sense, Matthew, from someone that's at a comic book store, I'm looking at the top fifty indie titles from April two thousand twelve. Um, mm-hmm. Fanboys versus Zombies number one was a buck, and it placed number two mm-hmm. out of all the indie titles placed 80th overall in the top 300 list, mm-hmm. right? Pretty good. Which isn't bad. There you go. So when your store sees a book that's selling for a buck at an introductory price, do you stock more of that book or less of that book? Or do you order the same it, amount? <coughs> Excuse me. It is going to depend on pre-orders and whether people seem interested. Okay. Let's say that, let's say we're selling, we're selling 10 issues of Green Hornet a month. Mm-hmm. And your dollar book is Cato, which is a spinoff of Green Hornet. And we right. think, okay, we've got 10 people reading Green Hornet. You know, you have to build in a little bit of cushion for those people who aren't reading Green Hornet. But if, say, you know, it's a book like Jennifer Blood that we order three and usually one goes to the back issue bins. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, you know, if you have that first issue of Jennifer Blood at a dollar and nobody seems to be talking or ordering or thinking, hey, I really want to get this Jennifer Blood. I don't know if the store is necessarily going to take a flyer and buy five or ten of them just because they're a dollar. So here's the bigger now, question then. Mm-hmm. Here's the bigger question then. I'm guessing that Boom and Dynamite and all these others that do this one buck for the first issue are probably either A, guessing they're going to sell a lot more than they normally would, or B, they're going to take a loss on that first issue so that as the trickle-down theory occurs for the next five issues after that, it all balance itself out, you know, as far as profit loss. Does that make sense? So if I know that, yeah. let's say it, let's say it really costs me, four, you know, two dollars to sell that book, and I'm going to sell it for a buck. I'm going to take a, a loss of a dollar, but if I sell thirty thousand copies of that book. And I would have only sold ten thousand or tw- you know ten thousand at the the four dollar price. I'm actually coming out ahead at some point. Sure. And then as each issue the the number of readers drop, by the time I get to that end of that six issue arc, the loss that I had on the first issue is made up for on the profit made from the sixth issue. Or maybe it doesn't work like that. Maybe they make a profit off of a dollar book. Which then begs the question, why can't they just lower the price and make everything a buck? Mm-hmm. See, and that lowers the the profit margin for the publishers overall. I think that, yeah, you know, it, it, I keep coming back to what Quesada said when asked, what's the difference between your $2.99 books and your $3.99 books? And his response was, we're just seeing what the market will bear. Yeah. These books are $3.99, not because they cost more to make. But because people pay three ninety nine for these books, yeah, that's kind of irritating. Oh well, I, I, I guess you know, yeah. you, you did it. I mean, we did it to ourselves, right? Sure. 
Mm. Vote with your wallet. Yeah, exactly. Vote with your wallet. Speaking of voting with, with your wallet. Your wallet. Mm-hmm. Speaking of voting with your wallet. If you like this show, if you enjoyed the show, if you liked everything we did in this show and you want to see it continue, or you'd like to see the Majorspoilers.com website continue, or you'd like to see Critical Hit continue, or Top 5 continue, um, we could sure use your help. We have continuing costs. We have server costs. We have uh, podcast feed costs. We have equipment costs. And of course, we'd all like to get a little paid a little something for our work that we put into this show. And so we're asking you to consider going over to Majorspoilers.com and making a one-time donation, or what we would prefer is if we could get everybody to do a two, a five, or a ten dollar a month recurring donation, and if we got everybody who listened to this podcast to do a five dollar a month recurring donation, we could quit our day jobs and focus on major spoilers full time. Which means you might even get more than two major spoilers podcasts a week. You might get even more podcasts than the major spoilers, the critical hit, the top five that we're already doing. We can do so much more. People have been asking, what about more video? Takes time, takes energy. Mm-hmm. Rodrigo's schedule doesn't necessarily align with my schedule, and Matthew's way over there in Topeka. How are Topeka. we supposed to get him involved if we've all got day jobs? Hot in Topeka. Hot in Topeka. If you can't uh, do the PayPal, the other thing you might consider is the link to Amazon.com right there on the Majorspoilers.com website. Go over to the website, click on Amazon.com, place your order of all the products that you normally do, and instead of uh, Amazon getting 100% of that profit, they kick a little our way. Same great price that you're always paying with Amazon, but uh, a little bit comes our way and helps us keep the light on for a little bit longer. And of course, the big six-year anniversary is coming up around the corner, which means some big announcements coming up and might make a little bit more sense why we need a little bit more funding Mm -hmm. to keep major spoilers going. We do appreciate it. For everybody that has donated or gone to Amazon or told their mom or told their friends or whatever it is, we appreciate that. Mm. What were you going to say? What are you grimacing uh, over there? No, I just, <laughs> it's like the big announcement. We're bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to have two big announcements. Yes. As bankruptcy we, will hopefully not be one of them. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, let's hope not. Um, all right, everybody, that wraps it up for this show. Thank you so much for tuning in. On the next issue of the Major Spoilers podcast, we will be looking at Ultra Duck. Cartoon ducks, anthropomorphic ducks doing superhero things. Sounds like it's right up our Ultra alley. Duck. We're going to find out next time on the Major Spoilers podcast. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Major Spoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Major Spoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Major Spoilers. If I had the X-ray vision of a Superman, I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. 
What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm stark raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine being in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Wow, 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 wow What a major spoiler Major Spoilers It's copyright 2012